Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 357, recorded October 17th, and I am Brian Aachen. And I am Michael Kennedy. And um, our show is sponsored by us. Uh, check out uh, Talk Python Training, of course, with this wonderful courses from Michael and other people, including myself. And um, uh, Patreon supporters, of course. We love Patreon supporters. Uh, we haven't really talked to them much lately, to sending out emails. I should do that more. Um, and lastly, the complete PyTest course. Please check it out if you want to learn PyTest the fastest way possible. Uh, and you can connect with us on uh, Mastodon, on Mastodon, on Fostodon, mm -hmm. both of those. Um, and Michael's at Mike at M Kennedy. I'm br at Brian Aachen, and the show is at Python Bytes. And you can also listen live if you head over to pythonbytes.fm slash live, and you can watch it when we live stream as we are right now. So Absolutely. So, Michael, let's kick it off with something hot. Let's kick it off. I want to talk about uh, a couple of, well, something I've learned from Glyph when I was at PyBay. Is that last weekend? Two weekends? Last weekend, I guess. Glyph gave a really cool talk. Some of the talks are starting to show up on YouTube, but it's his talk is not there yet or i would link to it and it was something along the lines of like how to program your computer with python which sounds silly because we're all pretty good python programmers like you should think okay well i could do that but this was about how do i automate stuff how do i uh, plug into things like how can i automate keynote to extract um show notes out to put into another document or powerpoint or uh, you know, things along those lines. And one of the things that he both created and talked about was this thing called Quick Mac Hotkey, because you might want to have your Python not have a UI you're interacting with, but just be chilling in the background. And if you hit a certain hotkey, it does the thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this Quick Mac Hotkey does that. And basically it's super simple to use. It's just a set of minimal Python bindings for Mac OS framework APIs using... Um, what does it use for it to pull this off? Look through here. Oh yeah, Pi, Pi OBJC, I believe is what it's using. So you just super easy to write some code. You want to have a function that's called when a keystroke is down. You just give it the decorator, quick hot, quick hot key. And you say the virtual key is the X. The modifier is command control option. So just hit all three of those plus X, you know, something that's most likely not going to interfere with some other behavior and then boom off it goes and look how simple that code is isn't that nice yeah yeah that's that's pretty yeah. cool although i yeah, don't know it, if i can find my command control and hotkey at the same time but <laughs> cool yeah i use a windows keyboard unfortunately because there's no ergonomic mac keyboards like you know, apparently apple hates people and they want them to have rsi for the rest of their life well doesn't so the, they only make these does the window key to map to the, yeah, the window key? the window keys is just the command key yeah okay so it's nothing, nothing too fancy. So there's not a lot of depth that we got to dive into this other than how cool is it if you want to just add hotkeys uh, here, you know, so, off you go. Okay, so when you install it, does it just run all the time or something? Or I think whenever your app is running. Okay. Like, so you can see the last line of this example, it says app helper dot run event loop. Okay. So that's yeah. just like set there in the background and just wait for events. For example, it's this quick hotkey callback yeah. when somebody presses that. So. One of those though could be exit, you know, and just, you know, I don't know how you exit the event loop, either raise an exception or just, just exit or who knows. There's gotta be a way to get out of there. Reboot your computer. When... <laughs> exactly. It's like Vim. You're just in there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
All right, over to you. Um, well, I'm going to talk about command lines uh, applications a little bit because um, Simon Wilson had things I've learned about building CLI tools in Python. And I really kind of like kind of all the stuff he covered. I really like them. I mean, this isn't a, a super in-depth, like how to write CLI tools, but some of the things like just high level when you're writing command line applications, um, it's good to be rather consistent with other command line applications to make it easy to use because it's going to be used by people that like CLIs, right? So um, the, a couple of options, things here, uh, be consistent with um, with the terms. Well, you have to kind of understand the terms, but there's commands, there's arguments, there's options and flags, and sometimes flags are options. And yeah, anyway, uh, so commands that have our, he's using click applications. So the, um, he actually talks about click and also using a uh, cookie cutter template that he, he lists um, at click app on Simon W on GitHub, but the, uh, or yeah, cookie cutter uh, template to build these, which is cool. Um, I, I like typer and which is built on top of click. So anyway, but these are, these are still good, um, good advice. Like, uh, make sure that your options, um, what, you know, what options are and that make sure you have like a short character. So if you have dash dash port also include like, uh, dash P in, uh, as a short version, cause people are used to that. Um, there's a mostly just a lot of description around making sure your flags and options and stuff are consistent. Uh, and I, I actually think people ought to get used to writing more CLI apps because especially for utilities for yourself and for a team, they're great because, um, um, you'll use it all the time and it's, it's, you get used to it. It's easier than uh, building a GUI application. Uh, so consistency is everything. Try to be consistent with it. Um, one of the great thing, the great advice here. So is be, pay attention to your help message. So um, a lot of CLI tools like Typer and Click kind of build a help uh, for you so that it prints out like the options and stuff that you can you can list, which is great. But you have to go in and add things like um, uh, put examples. So example uses of like the entire application or the entire option and how to use it. Um, this is extremely helpful, and I really appreciate it even just for myself so that um, like six months from now, I can remember how to use it, things like that. So include options in the help. And then the other thing is uh, the lastly, oh, examples, examples in help. And uh, there's a couple other things. Oh, include the output of your help in your online documentation, and there's ways to automate that. But I think that's great to just list it because I'm looking for it when I'm looking at the, like at the bottom of the readme or something. Um, the lastly, uh, is if you have a CLI that's being used by other people, make sure that you version it appropriately because, um, because it is an API, a command line interface is, can be used by other programs. So treat it as an API, even if the other user is somebody's fingers, um, because if things change, people should know about it. So anyway, uh, good good application or a good article about building command line applications and then his uh cool cookie cutter template for click apps it's nice excellent yeah nice work simon a uh, couple of pieces of real-time follow-up here one audience is on point today so kim out there says rich uh, rich click is also fantastic if you use click and oh, i definitely agree on that to check so it's that. like click but 
all the help messages and stuff are in color using, you know, rich and like little info boxes and stuff. And then Rhett, who who was on TalkPython to talk about programming Mac apps, Mac OS apps, highlights that, you know, um, this quick hotkey thing sounds like a good opportunity for a rumps menu bar app. So rumps is awesome. I was actually thinking of adding this hotkey thing exactly for one of my rumps menu bar apps, which is just an unfair level of easy for building a Mac app that just runs in your menu bar. Oh, cool. Yeah. We've talked about that, but it's been a while. It has been a while, but you've got to, for me, I've got to go up and find it and like make it do the thing. I'm like, you know what? Hotkey. Oh yeah. Here we go. Now it's on. Now it's going to the next level. So yeah, yeah, super cool. All right, that's not what I want to talk about, but some good real-time follow-up. What I want to talk about is Warp. And this is also an item from PyBay indirectly. I ran into Elvis who works there. And have you heard of Warp, Brian? No, well, I mean, Warp Speed. Yes, I know. <laughs> okay, got to resist the Star Wars references. Um, <laughs> it's it's super cool. So what terminal do you use? Like when you go, do you use the built-in Mac one? Do you use iTerm2 or what's your story? Well, I've used the built-in Mac one uh, on Mac, and then on Windows, I use uh, the what? The Windows terminal. Well, <laughs> that was a good one. No, uh, the the Git Bash, uh, Git for Windows Bash comes with Bash, so I use that. Okay, yeah, you should check out the Windows terminal and then plug the Git for Bash into it. You get like it behaves better, and you can pick from like nine different shells and like things that run inside the Windows terminal. Anyway, hmm. Windows terminal is awesome, but we don't have Windows Terminal on Mac, which is just fine because we have iTerm and other things. But I want to tell you about Warp because Warp is a, a new terminal that has got quite a bit of energy behind it. And it's it's awesome. So I think there's 30 people working on this project, if I remember correctly. But there's, there's a, a good number of people that are working on building this new terminal based on Rust. And it even is um, programmed in metal shaders. Metals are like the OpenGL DirectX Mac equivalent. For making it super, super fast. But basically, like there's a bunch of shortcomings that always drove me crazy about the terminal. And there's a lot of things that are pretty nice here. So it's a free thing for individuals. If you're a company, you got to pay for it if you want company features. Uh, but it's it's worth checking out. So for example, if you write something, Brian, like I write uh, some multi-line command and you're like, oh no, I forgot the quote at the beginning. You know, <laughs> how do you fix it in iTerm? You, Left error, left error, left error, left error, left error. Like even home doesn't work. You know, left error, left error, left error. You wait, you get back there and you type the quote, right arrow, right arrow to get the focus back. Like clicking where you want to be doesn't work, right? For example. Well, you use so, Vim key bindings and just go there with Vim. Do you have Vim key bindings in the ma- the standard terminal? Yes, everywhere. Yeah, Okay. <laughs> all right. But, awesome. Well, so this one, like basically all the um, stuff you type at the bottom or wherever you're typing is like a full on editor, which also has Vim key bindings. If yay. You want. Okay. Then I'll try it. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can turn them on if you want, but you can basically click in there and edit pieces. Like you can double click, it'll select a word. You start typing, it replaces that. Super cool. Um, it has like a kind of a new way to like keep your input focused in one area, which is really nice. So, Instead of it just being at the bottom of the screen, you could have it like always at the top or always at the bottom. Um, one of the things that's cool is like it, it treats the output of every command as um, a solid, as one thing. So if I do like an LS and there's like 50 lines and I tail a, you know, a catalog or something and there's like a thousand lines and then 
if you want to go back, you can actually just go back by selecting each block of that. So go back a thousand lines, go back 50 lines, mm. do a search. You can search just that 50 line section from that one command, even though your terminal's full of junk. Super, super cool. Uh, it does uh, tons of autocomplete, which is super neat. Um, let's see, one thing else. Um, you can, if you do some kind of command, you're just talking about like Simon asking chat GPT for what does like a, a command mean. So if you said like LS dash one, what does the one mean? You know, if you hover over the one, it'll like pop up a little documentation for what dash one means. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, also has AI built in if you want. I haven't used that very much, but you could like say hash. How do I, you know, write this kind of loop in bash or whatever? And it'll, it'll print it out for you, but I don't use that one too much. But anyway, super, super cool. A um, lot of interesting things. It has the control R history, uh, kind of like, uh, like McFly, which I've talked a lot about how cool McFly is. So giving this thing a try for a few weeks, really enjoying it so far. Cool. Love to try. Yeah. So people can check that out and uh, yeah, pretty neat. Kim says uh, we've come a long way from a few years ago when Windows Terminal and Awesome is in the same sentence. Um, it's I, yeah, I thought it was a joke. Also, I didn't, I can't believe that you said that, but no, it, windows terminal is it's, uh, I don't want to be on Wikipedia, but it is definitely, um, definitely nice. So I'm not on my windows machine and I'm not sharing my terminal anyway, but let's see if I can get it to show, um, hotkey. So like, yeah, it doesn't really show it great, but you can click on this, like you set what the default shell is that you want it to do but you can click this it'll be like the bash shell the um <laughs> power okay. shell whatever uh, that thing's playing music i can't take it but yeah anyway the windows yeah check out windows terminal it's actually good and kim is right we've come a long ways but yeah okay all right, all right. Mm -hmm. you convinced me i think so i'll try it yeah. give it a give it a try give it a try Thank all right you. what's your final thing people should check out warp it's it's pretty neat I will. Yeah. Oh, hold on. One more important thing here. Mac only for the moment for people, but they're working on Linux and Windows. So you can like sign up to get notified if you're not a Mac person. So okay. just that caveat for now. Um, I did you I three Python three point seven end of life and I didn't even notice. Uh what? Yeah, so. That was a good one. That was one of the good ones. You can trust that one. So three seven uh end of life was in June, in June twenty seventh. Uh, no, that was the first release. End of no, end of life also. End of life six twenty seven twenty three. Interesting. But why did I not notice it? I didn't notice it because everybody's like three, like you said, three seven was one of the good ones. We got we have data classes in there. Uh, F strings came in three six, and they got improved in three seven, and then they they got improved in three ten again, and um and all sorts of stuff. But um, but it is something to pay attention to. Uh, that I noticed the first notice today. Um. I was looking at the uh, VS Code announcement for the new, uh, what was this? Python for Visual Studio Code, October 2023 release. Mentions um, that uh, the 3.7 support, is still, it still probably works, but they're deprecating 3.7 in support. So just to be aware. Uh, I was also I'd be surprised if it didn't work because what was removed in 3.8 that was in 3.7, like syntax wise, not functional wise i i can't think of anything uh yeah so that i so there's a couple of projects or several projects that i'm supporting where i support down to 37 um i dropped 36 a while ago uh but one of the things that catches me a lot now the the remaining thing that catches me uh is um is annotations and specific mm -hmm. i want to cover like 
if you really want to still support 3.7 um, or didn't know that it was this easy, at least for the code I write, the main thing is um, is I like to use union types. So I uh, like to use this or type for unions. And this came in in 3.10. However, it, I, I can't find this documented anywhere, but to get it to work down to 3.7, you can do uh, from futures from future import annotations. And mm. we've been used to using the from future for various things for a while, but it looks like like 3.7 might be the end of needing from future for a while. I don't know, maybe they'll come up with something else that they're backporting. But yeah. it doesn't look like there's anything else right now uh, up to 3.12 that you need to go back down. It's just just um, just annotations uh, so far. So, uh, and I guess I want to show a little bit of an example for the annotations. So uh, data... For data classes, data classes are awesome because you can type the the variable that you're in you're using, and um, and then I often like to have it be none by default. Which so a string, it's going to be a string or it's none. So the or none is easy just to do the or none. And I know you can do optional, but this is just visually more pleasing to me. Um, and to get that to work down to three seven, it's um, yeah, it's just the from future import annotations, and it'll work all the way down to three seven. So. Just what I wanted to mention, um, and uh, I, I think that it's also good to be aware, I guess, that that three uh, seven is end of life because some of the things you depend on might start dropping support for three seven. It's fair game at this point. So, I mean, open source projects—they're a fair game to drop support for uh, <laughs> everything below three twelve if they want to. And no one's no one's signed a contract with anyone here. They can do what they want. But... Yeah, but it's uh, it's good to be aware. So. It, anyway. it certainly is. Certainly is. That's a cool graph you got there too. Yeah, yeah. Is that in the is that in the show notes? Yeah, it's from devguide.python.org uh, with the versions. Um, yeah, uh, Christian Lederman says uh, Walrus was introduced in three eight. I don't know if you can do a from future import Walrus. I don't think so. But to <laughs> if bad. you do, you have to do an emoji, not the actual <laughs> word Walrus. But you got to put the emoji of a Walrus, and then it'll work. Well, they, I'm waiting for like. Emoji operators. Uh, so that would be fun to have, yeah. have to put, not just can put, but you have to put emojis in your code. So what happens when the cat raises its paw against an integer? Oh, let me tell you, that one's really awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some I, of those conversations, like uh, Christian was saying there, I think we're like, where I was saying, you know, what is in 3.7 that's not in 3.8? And those are all true, all those things. Like there are new things, but if you wrote 3.7 code, then ran it against 3.8. It should still validate in MyPy. It should still work in Python, right? There's no thing that was in 3.7 that because right. MyPy is not supporting it, it will say, well, that used to work and it doesn't work anymore because Python's pretty awesome and stable like that. There might have been, there was one point, I think it was in 3.9 though, where like a, the async IO coroutine decorator was removed that caused all sorts of drama for me because some library I was using didn't use the word async. They just used the decorators. But even that, a decorator should still validate in MyPy with that context, right? So yeah, but I, don't I, know. I guess I want to. I'll um, maybe I'll revisit my opinion of uh, supporting three eight or three seven because uh, so we we can use the walrus operator in three eight. But Henry Schreiner also noticed that notes that um, uh, the the equal for f strings so that you can say um, like x equal and it'll print the x equal. That's super handy. Um, yeah, it's so, good for debugging. Yeah, and just having having that stuff in your uh, in your code like that'd be great. So 
Yeah. And mm. these things are super small and subtle, like the walrus operator. I take I took the website down with the walrus operator once. I said I told that story before. <laughs> yeah. And like not even the main website, just it was in a little utility, but it got parsed by the route finding thing and killed it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for items, huh? Yeah, it is. Awesome. Extras? What uh, you got? I got a couple since I got my screen up. Um, just one of the examples I showed was from a new plugin that I just released um, called PyTest ParamScope. And this allows you to, uh, for parameterized fixtures or for parameterized tests, to have a startup, a, a startup that goes, a setup that happens before all the parameters and a teardown that happens at the end. It's still, the API is up. Uh, there's a warning here because there's the, the API might change with respect to teardown, uh, working on yield yield functions for that. Um, I also, I was going to cover this as a full thing. Oh yeah, this is just sort of how you use it. You get like a setup and teardown. Oh no, this is, this is how I want to do it. This is the change that I might do of adding yield. So anyway, um, uh, Simon Wilson uh, uh, wrote a article called uh, Stop Defining People. No, not Simon Wilson. Sorry. <laughs> Josh Simmons, uh, sorry, Josh, uh, uh, wrote an article called uh, Stop Defining People by What They Are Not. Um, and he was referring to non-code contributors. And I kind of agree. So I wanted to highlight this article. This is this is great. Just basically saying all contributions are awesome and trying to, and elevating code contributors, contributors above non-code contributors is just not right. So don't do that. Um, also, it's just referring, I mean, if somebody only writes just mostly helps with your test code, uh, you don't have to call I mean, you can say somebody that's contributing test code. You don't have to say, oh, that's non-code. Well, that's that's still code. But anyway, you know what I mean. Um, yeah. People helping with documentation is great help. People helping with writing tutorials is great help. Everything is good. So anyway. Sometimes it's more important to have a good example so people can get started quickly. Oh, yeah. And like, enjoy the project rather than like one more feature, you know? Yeah, and also things like uh, cleaning, uh, triaging issues and answering questions and keeping, you know, making sure that all the issues are closed when their things get fixed and all that sort of stuff is, is, is tons of work. So it's great help. So yeah, absolutely. Anyway, do you have any extras? I got a couple quick ones here. So OpenAI has released the beta version of their Python SDK. It's pretty exciting. So if you don't want to implement your own raw HTTP JSON parsing and hope that you got everything right. You just go there, start calling the functions that they write for you. And it oh, cool. should be going nicely. So it's still in beta, but people can check that out. That's pretty awesome. I think, was it here? I can't remember somewhere. No, it wasn't here. Maybe it was on the linked article. There was somewhere where there's a, a bunch of people whinging, like, why can't people just call HTTP? They're so lazy. They want a library for it. Like, you know what? Maybe like let somebody else handle the evolution of that API. You just call a stable Python set of functions and not worry about that. Wouldn't call that lazy. I would call that PyPI and call it awesome. Anyway, so if people are uh, into open what AI. Do you, what do you need Python for? Just call the raw um, C API. Wait, what exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just do this with like a bunch of bash scripts and some curl? Let's go. All right. So um, sad news here is um, chat GPT. No, no. Stack Overflow, um, probably because partly of ChatGPT, get that in order right there. Stack Overflow is laying off 28% of their staff. It's kind of surprising, huh? Yeah. Which turns out to be 100 to 200 people, like a lot of people, not like they had four people and they laid one of them off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but he was really important. What exactly so would you say you do here? No. Um, <laughs> I so, didn't know that Stack Overflow had so many people working for him, though. I know. It, it was founded just by Joel Spolsky and Coding Horror Guy, whose name I don't remember. Anyway, but yeah, it's grown to be super, super big. And I don't know. I always sometimes wonder, like, do you really need a thousand people to run that website? I mean, maybe, but maybe you just don't. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's a whole different discussion. But um, so... There's some interesting conversation saying maybe this is because of chat GPT and Google Copilot and all these other things. Like instead of going to Stack Overflow to go, how do I connect this type of thing to that type of database? You can just ask your coding assistant or your chat buddy and you'll get a great example. Oftentimes more specific, right? Like, yeah, but I'm using this version. Oh, well, if it's that version, you got to pass this argument too. Right. Thanks. Got it. You know? Hmm. So... This is, is pretty interesting. Um, kind of <laughs> odd or, or weird. Like six months ago, Stack Overflow wrote a blog post that said, what's different about these layoffs in the tech industry? Not us. We're fine. Everyone else. <laughs> and then, you know, six months later, uh, yeah. you know, go back and read your own article, sadly. So that's uh, an interesting thing to be aware of, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Yuri Silovanov just pointed out or posted on the Ext. That UV loop uh, 18 is here with Python 3.12 support. So I was trying to use 3.12 on a couple of the talk Python things and the websites are like, nope, UV loop, no, AIO, HTTP, definitely not going to work on Python 3.12, which is, I think AIO, HTTP still doesn't work. And sadly, some crummy dependency that I have is like using that library, which itself is not being upgraded to 3.12, at least as of like a few days ago. So this gets me halfway there, the two things that wouldn't install. One more to go. Hanging in there for AIO HTTP. Come on now. But yeah. good news nonetheless. Thanks, Yuri, for doing that. Oh, and thanks, Kim, for reminding us that uh, it was Jeff Atwood. That, yes, you know. of course it was. Thank you, Kim. That's that's the guy that went by Coding Horror. That's what happens when you have too popular of a, a nickname that you've given yourself, like Coding Horror, yeah. in your blog. Yeah, yeah plus that lo the, the logo or icon that he's got. I can just see yeah. it in my head. So. Can too. I can like the hair on fire. Yeah, developer picture. Yep. Yeah. All right. Those are all my extras that I got for now. Um. Yeah. Ready for a joke? I am. We might even have two jokes, but yeah, we'll see I've about got that. one I wanted to share also. All right. So this one comes from Command Line Magic, but was pointed out to us by Lizzie. <laughs> Said, uh, "I love it. Hey, I'm Kennedy. Maybe for the show." And <laughs> the Command Line Magic says, "I've always read that global variables are bad." So this is the Star Trek thing. And can I make it bigger? Yes. The Star Trek thing shows, um, I can't remember this character's name, this woman scientist on um, a shuttle. For, this is all from Star Trek. And they're like going right through the near the edge of the sun to like do some studying. And she wants to be real careful to make sure that, you know, the ship doesn't melt. So she says, computer, notify me if temperatures get too hot. Beep, beep. Please define hot, says the computer. Let's say 1.9 million Kelvin. Okay, fair. Later, Captain Picard <laughs> is at the like the little food making thing, you know, that materializes food. It says tea, Earl Grey, hot. <laughs> it just melts it, just like yeah, <laughs> sets it to 1.9 million Kelvin in his uh, captain's quarters. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that good? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, a little Somebody too hot. Should test this. Yeah, a little yeah. too hot. Maybe that that tea was real hot. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's your joke? Uh, my, uh, so my daughter shared this with me and I just like, could, I'm, I haven't stopped giggling about it. So, uh, did you, have you, you've been to the Oregon zoo, right? Yes. Yeah. 
Did you did you know there's a new exhibit there? Uh, it, no. It's just a baguette <laughs> in a cage. Uh. It's bread in captivity. Oh my gosh. Bread <laughs> in captivity. <laughs> yeah, that's hard to do. You know, a lot of times you try, but it just doesn't happen, does it? I guess they pulled it off. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> this is bad. Bad dad joke. Those are very bad dad jokes. But yeah. I was just thinking about going to this. I haven't been there since maybe a year. I was thinking about taking my daughter back there. So what's what's weird uh -huh. is we we almost always go to zoo lights. So yeah. but I so I see a lot of animals, but they're all in they're all in lights instead of actual the actual animals. So exactly. We need to go. Yeah, just put them on the wall and have them flashing for Christmas. That's right. Yeah. I actually awesome. I really appreciate the uh, during COVID they like started doing the the drive through zoo lights um, and they still do it like partly part way so you can do drive through for a couple of days or something and then they switch oh, to, okay to walking I like driving through it's nice so yeah anyway. it is nice definitely nice <laughs> all right well we're coming up on the end of the year so um, we'll, we'll have to get a report on the zoo lights <laughs> yeah all right <laughs> and the bread and the captivity bread 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 <laughs> bye. All right. See y'all.